Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. In our Raid the Darkness series, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, The Water of Life. Join us in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. our series in the Gospel of John, and we are finally in chapter 4. So take out your Bible and turn to chapter 4. John chapter 4, and there are 15 verses that we're going to look at. And just if you haven't been with us a while or you're new, let me remind you of just a couple of things. Uh, We took a long time getting through chapter 3, but uh, John is writing this gospel uh, with a lot different perspective than the other gospels. And he has um, some things that he's trying to do. In particular, what he wants is, um, we, we, we named this, uh, we sort of themed it Raid the Darkness, because he wants some things to be illuminated. He wants you to see Jesus really differently. He wants you to see him as he really is. And this deep reality of Jesus, when you get a good glimpse of him, all right, when you get a good look at him and you experience Jesus in this deep reality, it changes the way you view the world. It changes the way you view everything. And what you find is, just like he says at the beginning of this gospel, that Jesus is full of grace and truth, the Holy Spirit of God, and he wants us to be saved. And he is full of one gracious gift after, after another as he pursues us. And so in this scene, that's what's happening. And this is an unusual um, story. And he chooses this story, I think, on purpose um, right after um, chapter 3. Now, there's really no chapter break there, Okay. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 are connected, and I want to show you this. But first, let's just start and read the story, and then uh, we'll draw the truth out of the text and find out what this has to do with you and I. So starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was winning and baptizing more disciples than John, that's John the Baptist, right? Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and set out once more for Galilee. But he had to pass through Samaria. Now he came to a Samaritan town called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, he sat right down beside the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came over to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. And then the commentary is in parentheses from John. For his disciples had gone off into town to buy supplies. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. So Jesus answered her, if you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said to him, you have no bucket and the well's deep. 
where then do you get this living water? Surely you're, you know, not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? For he gave us this well and drank from it himself along with his sons and his livestock. Jesus replies, everyone who drinks some of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks some of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, there's more to this story, and we're not going to get to it all today. But I definitely want to unpack um, these things just for a few minutes and draw this, the truth out of the text here. Because the story in John about Jesus' meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well, it reveals truth about actually us, ourselves. And again, a deep reality that we need to know and get our arms around when it comes to Jesus. And that reality, I think, when you understand it, gives us hope in our human condition. And so we're all in, a human, in, 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 a, in the same kind of condition as this woman. And she's done some things, right? And she has a story, and she's not highly thought of, okay? So um, the deep reality about Jesus that I want to focus on in these 15 verses is really this, that... Jesus is purposeful with his grace. He's purposeful with his grace. He's relational with his grace, and he's matchless. And I think these three truths are right here, and, and there's some repetition in this story if you kind of examine it. But the repetition, I think, is intentional. It's intentional by Jesus, and it's intentional by John, um, the inspired author, Okay. It's intentional so that we can experience grace ourselves, okay? So you have to um, look at this woman and see yourself kind of in her, okay? So let's just begin with the transition between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Again, the ch- you, you got to not pay attention to the chapter breaks a little bit. Number one, Jesus is purposeful with his grace. Look at verse 34 and 35. You just back up into chapter 3, and and you see what John had just said. He just said, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he does not give the Spirit sparingly. The Father loves the Son, and he has placed all things under his authority. So these are spectacular words, actually. God sent Jesus. Jesus speaks the very words of God. God gives him the Spirit unsparingly. He doesn't hold anything back, and he always and always has Uh, given his spirit to Jesus this way. The father loves Jesus. The father has placed all things under his authority. So Jesus is sent by God. He's God-loved and God-speaking. He's completely full of the Holy Spirit. He couldn't be more full. He is completely full of the Holy Spirit. And he has all the authoritative ruling power over all things. That's what John just said about Jesus. So now, as chapter 4 begins, we're told that Jesus left Judea in the south and headed for Galilee in the north, and he went through Samaria. This is all intentional and all specific, all right? But the way John tells us this raises some questions. It was intended to. The reason Jesus left Judea, John says, is because he knew that the Pharisees knew something. What did they know? 
They knew that more people were following Jesus than were following John, uh, John the Baptist. Why did that prompt Jesus to leave? There's a lot, a lot of reasons, and I don't have time to unpack them all. But the connection with chapter 3 is important because it rules out fear. Jesus did not leave because he was afraid of these guys. Okay? I like that. You could think that Jesus thought that the Pharisees would see his rising popularity in an attempt to crush it. And they didn't like him and they wanted to crush him. Right? So out of fear you know, of the Pharisees, he runs or he bolts to Galilee. All right? But John has just said in verse 35... The father loves the son and has placed all things under his authority. So Jesus is not a victim of human circumstances and whims, right? Nobody can touch him without his permission. We know that from other places in the scripture, John chapter 10, where Jesus says, no one takes my life, you know, from me, but I lay it down of my own will. So he's not leaving Judea because he's afraid of the Pharisees. He's leaving for his own purposes. And that is important. And that's what John wants us to see. Jesus is being purposeful with his grace in this story. He, he may have felt a, a divine compulsion to go to Galilee by way of Samaria because God planned this meeting there with this woman. And there's these words, had to, in verse 4. Um, and you, that, that you look at, right? But he had to pass through Samaria. It's probably, it, 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 it was possible to go to Galilee in a roundabout way. You know, was, uh, which some Jews did because they thought Samaritans were unclean. But John said that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Is this because he had a meeting to keep? And I, th- I think it is. I think it's because he's going to be intentional, right? He had a lot of reasons, but because we know that all things are under his authority, we know that it's not uh, that he's being controlled by circumstances because he's in charge of the circumstances. So he's not just responding, he's acting purposefully. I love that about Jesus. He acts purposely, acting purposeful with his grace. It is, it's his grace um, that is what kept him heading to the cross and reaching the cross. He was very purposeful and intentional about that. And it is purposeful grace that he feels compelled to keep this meeting in Samaria with a serial adulterous woman, okay? So one of the things about having a savior that's sovereign is that he always is purposeful. And I don't know if you understand that about your life, but he is always purposeful and his purposes are always full of grace for those who trust him. If we could see what God could see, you would see so many more purposes in every action of the Son of God. God is never just doing one thing, by the way. There's multiple things usually that he's doing all at the same time in your life and my life. And they're all connected and they're all working with purpose. He does all these things and sooner or later we find that out For those who love him and are called according to his purposes, right? All of them work together for good. You should be able to find a Bible verse in that, right? So as we draw the truth out of the text, you can see that Jesus is purposeful with his grace in this story. Here's the second thing. Jesus is relational with his grace, and I like this. He wants relationship 
with this woman. He wants a relationship with you and I. The main relationship, not the only one in the story, is the relationship between Jesus and the woman at the well in Samaria. And we're going to look at this a a lot further um, in the future. We're going to see just how relentless this grace is in this relationship. It's very relentless. When we see Jesus later in the story, knowing how many husbands this woman had, you get the definite impression that nothing is happening by accident. Jesus wants this woman to be saved, and he knows everything about her. Just like he knows everything about you and everything about me. When Jesus says to her in verse 23, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers, I think it's hard to think anything else. The Father is seeking her worship. The Father is seeking your worship, my worship. That's what he wants. And he's seeking her through Jesus. This is John's version of the prodigal son. You know the prodigal son that Luke um, highlights in Luke chapter 15? Only here it's the prodigal daughter. And the father is seeking her worship. So it's just like Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. He did that purposefully in Luke chapter 15. And he is willing to share a drinking cup with a Samaritan adulteress. It's like he just said, hey, can I have a drink out of your water bottle? This is what I mean by relational, being relational with his grace. Because Jews avoided Samaritans, and they definitely didn't share stuff, okay? So the key word for background in this relationship is in verse 9. Look at verse 9. I think it's really important. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? I mean, she's actually shocked and kind of like, wow. Are you from around here? Right? Because the commentary that John puts in parentheses right there, that's why the parentheses are there for Jews, use nothing in common with Samaritans. We don't share water bottles or buckets or anything else. Why is that? After the Assyrians captured Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, They deported all the Israelites and settled in the land with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving Israelites. And they adhered to some of their ancient religion customs and things, right? After the exile of the southern kingdom in Babylon, Jews then, returning to their homeland, viewed the Samaritans not only as the children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds, whose religion was tainted and corrupted by various unacceptable things and elements, right? So in this story, we have ethnic, racial, religious issues that are made, that made Jews feel deep disrespect and contempt for Samaritans. And it's not like the Samaritans like the Jews either. They're ceremonially unclean. They're radically and racially impure. They were religiously her- uh, heretical. And so they were totally avoided. So Jesus 
Ask for a drink. Does it sound like it's purposeful? <laughs> I think he just wades right in on purpose. There's a fountain in this city. Jacob is uh, established. There's a well here. Look at verse 6 through 8. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, since he was tired from the journey, he sat right down beside the well. It was about noon, so it's got to be hot. Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus says, give me some water to drink. And here you go. Very intentional. John points out something in the commentary for his disciples had gone off into town to buy supplies. So the Samaritan woman says, right, how can you, you know, we already went through this. So notice what he does. First, he went through Samaria intentionally. Second, he sent the disciples to buy food, to buy presumably touched and prepared by unclean Samaritans food. So he could be alone, intentional. They didn't have to all go. It didn't take all of them. <laughs> she sent two, a couple of guys, three guys maybe. No, but they all go. Third, he sits right on the well to be fully right, right there, unavoidable. All right? Then... He asks a woman who he knows is unclean, impure, heretical, disreputable. He asks her for a drink. Not for permission to get a drink, but for a drink from her bucket. He's standing by the fountain for everybody to see right there in all, um, in everybody's face. Can I have a drink from your water bottle? <laughs> you know, can you imagine just going up to somebody and asking that? I don't like to share water bottles even in my own family. Just go up to somebody you don't even know. Hey, can I have a drink out of your bottle? I almost want to, if you ask me, I'm actually going to say probably no. I I don't know. This, This is all intentional. This is awkward. It's intentional. It's weird, right? He's doing this on purpose. She says at the end of verse 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But literally what the verse says, Jews don't use stuff together with Samaritans. You, can, you can't be asking me to use the same bucket and water bottle. That's not done. Okay? So Jesus is pursuing this unacceptable relationship, isn't he? He's doing this all on purpose. God is pursuing this woman. He wants to have her in heaven. This is relational grace being unloaded on this woman. Everything is intentional. It's not just happening. This is obviously designed. God did not send his son into the world to condemn people like this. But he sent Jesus into the world in order that people... Like this, which is all of us, would be saved through his son, Jesus. Now, what's he doing? He's breaking centuries of taboo. He seeks to be alone, sits at the well. He speaks to her, and he didn't remain silent. He spoke to a Samaritan. He spoke to a woman. He spoke to an adulteress. He asked for a drink, and the only vessel available, the only thing available is hers to drink out of. So are you seeing Jesus' glory kind of just illuminate things? Remember um, when we talked earlier in, you know, a number of weeks ago about how 
sin and corruption and all the stuff, all the evil, all the ugliness, it needs the cover of darkness in order to survive. Well, Jesus, all of his glory, all of his light, he just lights it up and he exposes everything, right? He lights up everything here. It's not condemnation. He wants to heap all the grace that's in him and truth on her. He wants to burn away all the anger and the critical, lustful, greedy, worldly, lazy, fearful, unrelational junk and heap all of his grace on this woman just like he does on anybody. God wants us, I think, in this story to feel and understand the deep reality of this relational grace that Jesus is offering at this moment, right now, even in this text. I think God in Jesus wants you to feel graciously pursued and sought out, right? He is seeking a relationship with you in order for you to own the grace that he has. That's what this well scene is all about. Let's go on to the next thing. Jesus is matchless with his grace then. So he is unmatched. He has no more to say about the wall between Samaritan and Jews. He's totally exposed that. He's burned that up with the light. He smashed that um, that darkness with his own behavior. And he's on to more important things. Look at verse 10. If you had known the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me some water to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I want your eyes to be open because you're talking to the son of God <laughs> who carries in him the gift of God and offers you Right now, living water. That's what I want. Verse 11, look at this. The woman says, sir, you have no bucket and the well's deep. Where then are you going to get this living water? She doesn't see it yet. She doesn't get it. You remember Nicodemus? He didn't see it. He didn't get it. He's got questions. Jesus has given him some answers. I got new birth for you, new birth for you living water. And what's Nicodemus says? Well, where's the woman with the womb big enough for me to crawl back up into? What do you mean rebirth? Can't do that. (laughs) She says, you have living water for me, new birth? Well, where's your bucket? This is a picture of us. We're blind. We're unable to see the glory of the only, the one and only son of God. That's why I say, often, You have to get people lost before they recognize they need to be saved. They don't think they're lost. They can't see it. Maybe you haven't seen it till today too. But she also senses some kind of claim to him being matchless here. Watch this in verse 12. Surely you're not greater than our ancestor Jacob, are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself along with his sons and his livestock. So What's she saying? You know, are you greater than Jacob? Do you, are you greater than Jacob? Do you think that Jesus is greater than Jacob? 
Why? He answers, everyone who drinks from this water is going to be thirsty again, but everybody who drinks the water that I'm going to give you is not going to be thirsty again. The water that I give you will change everything. It'll become a spring of water welling up into eternal life, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I'm way better than Jacob, he's saying. And my gift is way better. It's matchless. And my water is matchless. And my well is matchless. And my sons and daughters are matchless. They never die. Yeah. I'm way better than Jacob. Superior, matchless. So, real quickly then, what's this have to do with you and I? Jesus is offering more than water here, obviously, right? Don't miss the things that he says about the water that he gives and offers you and I today. Because this applies to me and you. Here's number one. It's the gift of God. That's what verse 10 says. If you had known the gift of God. And number two, it's living water. That's what verse 10 says. He would have given you living water. That's what he's offering here. That's what this has to do with you and I. Number three, if you drink it, you never thirst again. That's what verse 14 says. Whoever drinks some of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. And number four, this water becomes a spring or a fountain, right? Well water. That's what verse 14 says. The water that I will give you will become in him a fountain of water springing up. I mean, that's why you never get thirsty again. Not because one drink is enough, but because one true drink produces a well for eternity, an eternity of drinks, unending drinks of this water. (laughs) Number five, this water gives eternal life. That's what verse 14 says, a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. He's saying, I'm so much better than Jacob. Oh, man. But I'm not being arrogant. I am matchless in my grace. The salvation I'm offering is matchless. There's nothing like it. I have the water of life. You're thirsty and you need what I have to live. If you will drink, if you'll believe me, you'll live forever. But she doesn't see it yet. She doesn't get it yet, right? She doesn't taste it. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not have to be thirsty or have to come, to, come here to draw the water. Or I'd like that water because this bucket's heavy. Just like Nicodemus, right? So actually, we got to wait. I'm not going to give it away just yet. What is it going to take for it? Jesus to get through to her. What if I ask that of you? What is it going to take for Jesus to get through to you? See, Jesus is not going to give up. You can wait next week to see what happens. It might be a couple of weeks, actually, when I get to it. You know, to believe, to receive Jesus. But you might not have till next week. 
I mean, a few weeks ago, I thought I was going to walk out the door and get in my Ford F-250 Super Duty and drive down to the airport and pick up my son. And I walked out the back, went right to the place where I parked it, and I went, hmm, it's not here. I did not see that coming. Not only did they steal my Bible, they stole my truck. I did not believe. I couldn't believe it. I like somebody's playing a joke on me. I, I walked around the entire parking lot. What is happening? I, did, I, I, got, I got to tell you, that was the last thing I thought was going to happen. I could not believe it. I still can't believe it. I'm telling you, you know what's going to happen this week. You really want to wait? You might not have till next week. Come to the water. Take a big, huge gulp of it. That's what Jesus wants right now. Will you bow your head with me? Lord God, thank you for this gift. Wow, it's unending. And then it's living. And we can never thirst from drinking from it. And best of all, Lord, it gives us eternal life. That's what we want. We know we have to surrender. We are sinful and we need a savior. We know we can't be in your presence. We're all sinful just like this woman. It's all the same to you, Lord. Thank you for your purposeful, relational, matchless grace. That's what we need, Lord. Thank you for pursuing us in this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.